Well, we're in a series that we're calling Come and See. And the reason we're looking at the series is because there are two primary questions in life that the series is helping us answer. The question, question number one, who is he? You've got to understand something about who Jesus is and what he came to do, or you're never going to understand life and how it fits. We often want to ask the second question first. The second question is, who are we? But we can't understand who are we unless we first understand who is he. So we're taking these uh, nine weeks to look at the question, who is he? And so we can understand who are we and we can live in sync with that. And the way we're doing it is we're looking at nine different names or nine different titles that Jesus bears or uses for himself in the Gospel of John. So we started by looking at chapter one and we saw that Jesus there is the word and we talked about that. Then we looked at John 21, the other bookend, and said Jesus is the restorer, the redeemer, and we talked about that. Last week, uh, we looked at Jesus, the bread. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. What does that mean? And we explored that. Well, this morning, we're going to look at another one of those strange descriptions Jesus uses for himself. He says, I am the light of the world. So this morning, we're going to talk about enlightenment and illumination. So I thought I'd get started by sharing a few enlightening facts with you uh, that you may need to know. Do you know that every second the sun gives off enough energy to heat up 32 billion billion hot pockets? That's an enlightening fact, isn't it? Here's another one. Do you know why in old time firehouses, I guess there are even many firehouses today that have a spiral staircase? The reason is, Fire engines used to be pulled by horses, and it didn't take the horses long to figure out how to go up the stairs. So they put in spiral staircases so the, so the horses wouldn't be able to go upstairs. Do you know that the electric chair was invented by a dentist? That figures, right? Uh, are you being enlightened yet from these facts? Right, here's one that'll really help you. Banging your head against the wall burns 150 calories an hour. So if you want a good workout this afternoon, you know, bang your head against 150 ca You know what? There's lots of useless information that you, they may be true to fact, but they're not very helpful in how we live. That's not what Jesus means when he says, I'm the light of the world. The enlightenment he gives, the illumination he gives is not concerning a fact that is useless. It's a fact that is significant, eternally significant. So if you have your Bibles... Turn to John chapter 8, and we're going to look at verse uh, 12, where Jesus makes the comment, and then we'll explore the context and stuff as we go. So in John 8, 12, Jesus says, or I'll read the whole verse. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, what does that metaphor mean? Before we look at the conduct, that metaphor works for us, right? We use that same expression. What is light and what does light mean? Well, there's a literal sense to light, and there's also a figurative sense to light, and we understand both of them, and we use the word light in that way. I asked my uh, small group Friday morning, just so I could get some introductory comments. Um, <laughs> What does light do? And immediately someone said, well, without light, we'd all die. You know, that's right. Light gives life. 
So if there, if there was no light, eventually there would be no life. So sunlight shines. It allows plants to grow and plants grow and we eat them, animals eat them, and we, and we live without light. There would be no life. Light also is used figuratively to refer to truth, right? You say, oh, I see the light went on in our heads, right? Light means truth. Now you know something accurately. Light also means and can mean joy, right? So for example, the days are getting longer. So now as soon after I'm up, it begins to get light when it would stay darker longer. And that brings a sense of joy, right? But you know, light also has a downside. And it kind of works in those three ways. Light brings life, but too much light destroys life. And so if you spend too much time in the sun, you're not just getting vitamin D, you can get skin cancer and light can take life. Light also can be so bright that it extinguishes sight. I'm not sure if you're a welder or maybe you've seen welders, you gotta put that funky helmet on, right? With that big, thick, uh, dark glass because light will burn your eyes and take it out. Light doesn't just bring joy, light can bring terrible sights. For example, when it's dark and you walk through the bathroom in the morning, it's fine, but when the light's on, you look in the mirror, you scare yourself half to death, right? So light can destroy joy, it can destroy life, it can destroy sight. So light's wonderful and light's terrible at the same time. And you've got to understand both sides of the metaphor to get to what Jesus is saying. Now we started by looking at some useless facts. But you know, light really is important. And sometimes the light going on and being enlightened actually gives life and takes away danger and leads to a sense of joy and a lot less frustration. Let me uh, share with you something happened to me uh, a few weeks ago. I noticed that one morning when I got in the car that one of my tires was low on air. I noticed it because a little yellow light came on the dashboard that told me that. I wouldn't have noticed by looking at the tire, I noticed with the light. And so I immediately thought, oh yeah, it's winter time, it's cold out, you lose air in the tires. I'll go to Berge's in Franconia and put air in it. I go to Berge's because they have free air. I'm cheap, I'm not going to Wawa or somewhere, you have to pay for air. Like who would pay for air, right? So I go to Berge's, you don't pay, for, and all of you who don't know, you go to Berge's, it's free air. So I go, put a few pounds in the tire and I'm good. Light goes out. About three days later, the light's on again, same tire. Well, maybe I hit a pothole. Maybe I kind of rubbed a curb or something. Uh, of course, I'm not going to have the tire looked at, right? It may cost time and money, so I'm not doing that. Uh, so I go back to Bergie's, put air in it, tire goes up, light goes out, I'm good. Three days later, light's on again. Well, I probably would have done that dance numerous times, but I was headed to Long Beach Island that week, and I was afraid that I'm going to have a flat tire on 70 or 72 driving there, and so fear drove me to Mavis Tire. So I pull in, and it's freezing that day, right? So I go up, and I say, hey, I think I have a slow leak in my passenger front tire. Oh, great. Bring it in, and um, bring your little lug doohickey thing that unlocks the, you know what I'm talking about? Right? You got a you had special lug nut wrench to put on to unlock the tire. Well, my little doohickey is in the trunk. And so I hit the button in the car and the trunk doesn't open. It doesn't even click, nothing. So I say to God, well, the trunk won't open. Well, we need the little lug doohickey or we can't get the tire. Okay, now I've got a meeting in like a half hour. I'm squeezing this in. I try to key fob, no click. So I call the car dealer, say, uh, I press the key fob, I Push the button, trunk's not open. It's probably frozen. It's so cold out. So 
So I said, okay, I'll be back. So I leave. I'll wait for a warm day to go back to Mavis. I go back to Bergie's, put more air in the tire, right? Now I'm leaving for LBI pretty soon. Well, uh, I go home and I call the dealer again and say, hey, I need to get in the trunk to get the little doohickey. And I didn't know this, right? I was enlightened. The dealer said, um, take your key fob and there's a secret compartment. Did you notice? Press the button and a magic little key will come out. And I didn't even know there was a key slot for the trunk. I take the little key out and I open the trunk. I look in the trunk and it's so full of stuff. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I can't dig through this. So I put the key back in and I'm good. But later that day, it's warming up. I go out and I get the little key fob and I pull the thing out and I open up the trunk and I find the lug lug doohickey thing. And I'm all ready to go back to Mavis. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to call that dealer again just to see. And this time I had a really enlightening person on the phone, which said, did you somehow depress the trunk safety latch in the glove compartment? Did I depress what? Yeah, there's a button in the glove compartment so that if you're, you know, you're going to some shady restaurant or something, you press the button and then none of the, none, you can't open the trunk with the button or your key fob and then you lock the um, glove compartment and nobody, oh, open my glove compartment, and the button, I press it, and everything works. You see, it's dangerous and frustrating and irritating uh, to be unenlightened and to be ignorant. I know you've seen the bumper sticker, ignorance is bliss. No, it's not. Ignorance will tick you off, right? Ignorance is frustrating. It makes you angry. And ignorance about who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do is eternally frustrating and eternally dangerous. So we need to come to reckon with who Jesus is and what it means that he's the light of the world. Well, let's look at the context. Because Jesus isn't saying, I'm the light of the world, meaning he's a giant flashlight. I mean, he's not a laser beam. What does it mean he's light of the world? Well, we've got to understand the context. So I've got a couple of verses here that will show you. We've got to do a little investigation. So if we start in verse 12 there, 812, notice it says in verse 12, Jesus stood and said again. Jesus is talking again, right? Verse 12, when Jesus spoke again. Well, if he's speaking again, where did he speak like the first time that this is the again time? Well, if you look back into chapter 7, verse 37, you'll see the first time he spoke. So it says there, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. So Jesus is at the festival, and he's talking at the festival. And then at the festival, he says again, I'm the light of the world. So he has two of these statements at the festival. Jesus says, if you come to me, you won't be thirsty. And later he says again at the festival, I'm the light of the world. What festival? Well, it doesn't say in verse 37. If you go further back in chapter 2, now we learn. Verse 2 says of chapter, chapter 7, but when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, that's the festival. So we did a little detective work, right? Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness. He said that again at the festival. The festival is the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, what's the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, here's what it is. There are three big feasts when all the Jewish people had to gather in Jerusalem and the feasts helped them remember things. So they gathered for Passover and they remembered God's deliverance from Egypt. 
They gathered at festival, right? And the festival came at the end of harvest. So now all the stuff's brought in. They remember God's faithfulness. Well, why would you camp out? The Feast of Tabernacles, right? You would camp, you'd make huts. You know, branches, spare tires, lots of duct tape. You'd build a little hut and you'd live in there for a week. Like, why would you do that? You were remembering. Now, remember the context. You're remembering God's deliverance from Egypt, but then you wandered in the desert for 40 years and you lived in tents, right? And so God's saying, remember. Remember I provided for you every day for 40 years. Remember I took care of you every day. I was working with you. I was leading you. I was guiding you. That's what they're remembering. But also, it's a harvest celebration because the end of the journey led them to the promised land, right? The land of milk and honey. So it makes perfect sense at the end of harvest, the Jews would all gather in Jerusalem. They would live in tents to remember going through the wilderness. And then they would celebrate harvest and they'd have a big party. I think this week coming is Mardi Gras. This was like Mardi Gras. This was like New Year's Day. This was celebration to end all celebrations. And there's one other thing that you'll need to know. You heard the verse about the water in 37. And what, what that meant is the priest would go to the pool of Siloam and they would get pitchers of water. They'd bring them back to the temple and they'd pour out the water as part of the Feast of Tabernacles to remind them that God provided water and bread through the wilderness. But something else happened at night. You know what happened at night? They would light giant torches. Why would they light torches as people are living in tents, thinking about the harvest? Why would they light torches? Because... God led them through the desert in a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. And so they would light the torches to remember. They'd look back and say, oh yeah, we remember our ancestors lived in tents. God faithfully provided through the wilderness and God led them. He guided them perfectly with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. God led them. That's what they were remembering. And so just like when Jesus said, I am the bread, Josh talked last week, there's a sense in which you look back. You look back at the manna that God provided, and God sa Jesus said, but I'm the real bread. I'm ultimate bread. Once again, when Jesus says, I'm the light, there's a look back. Remember God's presence in the pillar, and remember how I guided. Jesus says, I'm that pillar. That pillar's me. I lead, I guide, follow me. Does that make verse 12 seem a little more significant? I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me. Imagine being in the desert. You say, you know what? I, I don't feel like following that pillar anymore. I'll go my own way. Yeah, you don't follow the pillar. It's going to be freezing cold at night, scorching hot during the day. God provides a cloud to give shade. God provides a fire at night to give warmth. And God's guiding them to the promised land. And Jesus says, that's who I am. I'm the presence of God. Not symbolically here in a, in a pillar, actually here in a body. That's the context. So it isn't just, I'm the light of the world. Jesus is saying, I am the ultimate presence of God. 
As God led in a pillar of fire through the wilderness, I'm here as God leading you in person to salvation, forgiveness, and the ultimate land of milk and honey and the ultimate harvest. See how that works? Well, what exactly does the claim mean then, right? There are two parts to the claim. Uh, let, let, let me see if I can explain it this way. There's um, the positive side. So the pillar is God's presence, right? And the pillar is God's guidance and all of that. But there's also a downside to the pillar thing, right? Here's the downside. There were always barriers and obstacles keeping people from God's presence. And that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, right? So God is with Adam and Eve in the garden, one and two. But then in chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin, they get thrown out of God's presence. God then says, hey, I'm unwilling to let you guys go. I want to be with you. But now there's got to be barriers. So God tells Moses to construct this tabernacle. There's a holy of holies, holy place, courtyard, which the tabernacle and temple were really nothing more than a series of barricades because the people couldn't stand and would be consumed if they were in the presence of God. There's kind of a downside to that, right? Jesus shows up, and there are no barriers. Jesus says, I'm the presence of God, and you can come to me. The barriers have been removed. Not just the ultimate presence of God, but the barriers have been removed. The presence of God, but the presence of God without barriers and obstacle. You can come to me. Wow. But there's also a, a call that goes with that. And the call's pretty serious. Jesus says it in verse, in verse 20 there. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me. The call is to follow. Follow. Can you imagine how frustrating it would have been to follow that pillar of cloud or fire? I know we often romanticize the idea, right? And I've even talked to uh, some people through the years that have said, I wish God would lead me with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm not sure what God wants me to do. If I had a pillar, if you had a pillar, you'd be ticked off most of the time. Here's why. They're at Mount Sinai for almost a year. They construct the tabernacle and the pillar, the presence, comes down and now resides in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies, right? That, that's where the pillar of fire is. And one day, the pillar rises from the tabernacle and begins to move, and that's the signal. The whole nation now needs to follow the pillar. But they're excited, right? They've been camping at the mountain for almost a year. Yes, they pack everything up. And remember, they have everything that they own with them. You know, they got recliners, they got beds, they got four-wheelers. They've got all of their possessions. They pack it up. I mean, it's a major pack job. They're following the pillar. And the pillar won't stop. Some of them are getting tired, right? I need a break. When's the pillar going? It's not stopping. Eventually, they're really exhausted, and the pillar stops. They say, oh, finally. They unpack, right? It, it takes them three hours to unpack. They unpack everything. They just sit down. They're kind of, you know, heating up the coffee, leaning back, put their feet up in a recline, and the pillar starts to move again. And they think, I just sat down. I don't want, I want to sit here for a day or two. I can't believe he's moving. Here. Pack up everything again, and they take off. Two days later, the pillar stops. But this time, they, this one family says, he's not going to get me this time. I'm not unpacking anything. I'll sleep on the ground. All I need is my pillow, right? I get the pillow and I'll sleep on the sand. He's not getting me this time. Pillar stays, 
day, two, week, month, two. Oh, fun. I guess we're camping. Take all the stuff off. The next day, the pillar moves again. Uh, don't you hate that? And so it would have been frustrating. It, it would have been depressing and discouraging to follow. That's kind of how we live too, isn't it? I said a few weeks ago, God doesn't give us a map. God sends his spirit to be our guide. He gives us the word to guide us, and he gives the spirit to guide us, and we follow. And sometimes he says, stop, you got to stop. And sometimes he says, go, you got to go. And it may not make sense to us, just like it wouldn't have made sense to the people following the pillar. When I say go, you go. When I say stop, you stop. If not, you may be in the desert without a pillar. And if you're in the desert without a pillar, there's no fire at night for warmth. There's no cloud in the day for shade, and you're on your own, unqualified to make the decisions and know the right direction. Now, that was kind of the looking back part. So can you picture the scene? Feast of Tabernacles. They're camping out. They gather every night at the temple. They light the torches. Jesus shows up and says, oh, by the way, guys, I'm the light of the world. What these pictures, what these torches are symbolizing... I'm the real deal. I'm the real light. I'm the real guide. Follow me. I know light can be harmful and light can take you out. There are no barriers. I'm here. I'm mediating the light so that you can be in the presence of God and I am God. And then in the next chapter, we see an undeniable demonstration of what Jesus has been saying. Now, did, did you, it's almost like a repeat, right? So in, when Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, they look back to the manna, right? Because it was Passover. So they're celebrating Passover. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the ultimate bread. Looking back to the Passover. But then looking ahead because he just fed the 5,000. So there's the look back and the look ahead. Jesus said the same thing with light. So with light, it's at the Feast of Tabernacles. They look back and Jesus says, I'm the presence of God who guides and mediates. But then he looks ahead and in John chapter 9, he heals a man that was born blind. Do you think that that's just coincidental? No. Jesus leaves the temple, sees a man that's born blind and heals him. Now, do you see the... Can you see the picture of that? The light, the Shekinah glory, the glory of God in the Old Testament was in the Holy of Holies. It had to stay in the temple. But in John chapter 8 and then in chapter 9, Jesus, the light of God, leaves the temple. The light leaves the barriers, finds somebody in darkness, and brings light to them. Brings light to them. Just like Jesus the light of the world, the presence of God, has left the confines of all of the obstacles because Jesus mediates God's glory so we can come into his presence. And I love how the story of the uh, blind guy ends. He finds him, and Jesus does uh, appears gross at first. He spits and makes some mud and puts it on the guy's eyes, and eventually he sees, and he goes and shows himself, and he can really see, and, and eventually the religious leaders say, well, uh, who did this? How did this happen? He says, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, where is he? I don't know. Who is he? I don't know. 
That reminds me of another example where, where Jesus then healed another blind guy and they're kind of interrogating him, right? And they say, well, we think he's a sinner. Who do you think? And he says, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. What I do know, I was blind and now I see. That's kind of our role, right? Our role is not to know all the ins and outs. Our role is to not to know how all this happened in detail. Our role is to say, I was blind and on my own. I felt like I was wandering around and I didn't know which direction to go. And all of a sudden I met Jesus and my eyes were open and now I'm trying to follow him the best I can. He's guiding me and leading me. He's the mediator between God's glory so that I'm not consumed. Somehow he's making a way. I don't know all the details. I don't know all the theology. I don't know all the apologetics, but I know one thing. I was on my own wandering around and now Jesus is my savior and friend and I'm following him and he's guiding me carefully, leading me safely home. That's kind of the story, isn't it? Each one of the I am statements, there's a look back to something from the Old Testament and a look forward to the newness that Jesus is bringing. Jesus, the bread of life, the ultimate manna. Jesus, the light of the world, the true light of God's presence that isn't stuck behind barriers now. The ultimate light leaves those barriers and mediates God's forgiveness, life, joy, privilege, enlightenment forever without the barriers because eventually he will pay the debt that all of us who were born and live in darkness owed so that now we can come and we can follow him as our Savior and Lord and we can follow imperfectly without knowing all the answers but we follow because he came and sought us. That's how the story works. I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in darkness. Follow. See where he's leading in the scripture? See where he's leading as you're in sync with community? Follow, even if it doesn't make sense. He guides, he leads. He knows where he's going, and he wants to get us safely home. Let's stand and pray. Father, we give you thanks for these uh, seemingly crazy sayings where Jesus says, I'm, I'm, I'm the word. And Jesus says, I'm bread. I'm light. I'm a gate. I'm a door. I'm a shepherd. I'm a vine. But Lord, within each of the pictures, Jesus is telling us something significant. That if we look back to the story, Jesus is saying, all of the pictures point to me. And if we look around, we see how that reality is coming to fruition. And if we look forward, we'll see the ultimate destination. Lord, thanks for knitting that all together and for calling us out of darkness into the light. May we follow as Jesus leads. We pray in his name. Amen.